This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, well, it's episode 50. What have you been waiting for? Being that it's my 50th episode, I'd like to say a special thank you to not only the people who supported me, all of you that subscribed, but the guests who also took out time from their busy schedules to be on the podcast. I appreciate it more than you know. When I started this podcast in September of 2019, I called the Chew Brewer Stew and I really didn't know where it was going to go or how long it was going to last. Well, it's almost two years later and the name of the show has changed, but the premise is the same. Finding out what it takes to be a successful owner. But now it's only for the brewing industry. Mostly because it's what I truly love and what I'm into. Beer. Sweet, sweet, glorious beer. I'm actually sipping on a barley wine right now to celebrate my 50th episode. Mmm, delicious. And I hope you crack open one as well. Once again, thank you to everyone, guests, supporters, and listeners. Without you, this podcast would be nothing. So here's to another 50. Drink up. Well, I'm sorry to get all sappy on you guys, but if you haven't heard, this is episode 50. In this episode, I sit down with Jared Barnes, co-owner of Collusion Tapworks in York, Pennsylvania. Jared tells me the reason for traveling around the country to work at all different breweries before opening his own place, how him doing almost every little job in the restaurant and brewing industry helps him to be a good business owner, and he tells me a funny little story about slow times in the brewery and how you can go about making up your own fun little games. As I told Jared in the podcast, the firehouse isn't too different. When things get a little slow, we find ways to stay busy, and sometimes that results in a practical joke or two being played on yours truly, over and over and over and over and over again. But enough about me and how over practical jokes I am, because now it's time to enjoy a brand new episode of the podcast. So sit back, crack open a beer, and enjoy that podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast, and today I'm with Jared Barnes, co-owner of Collusion Tapworks in York, Pennsylvania. Jared Barnes grew up in York, Pennsylvania. He caught an interest in brewing at a young age while working at Bully's Restaurant in Columbia, Pennsylvania. That interest led him towards buying himself a homebrew extract kit, and quickly moved on to all-grain brewing. When he wasn't in school or working at Bully's, he was in the basement of the restaurant experimenting with new recipes. He soon realized that school just didn't hold his attention like brewing did. His father Chuck, realizing the same thing, told him to check out schools to become a professional brewer. Soon thereafter, he applied to the Siebel Institute Master Brewers Program. He went on to learn theory at Siebel and then got his practical training from Doman's Academy in Germany. When he came back to the States, he started to send out resumes to breweries and received an interview at Southern Tier Brewing Company in upstate New York. Needless to say, he was hired just a couple of weeks later as a settlement. He took what knowledge he could from the job at Southern Tier, but felt it was time to move on. With that, he took a job in Sarasota, Florida to help start what is now known as Darwin Brewing Company. He soon left Darwin after some creative differences and moved to Delaware to work with Miss Pillion River Brewing in 2013 as their first brewer. After he helped them get off the ground, Jared felt like it was time to move home. 
He left Miss Pillion River and took a short-lived stint at Windridge Farm Brewing before finally realizing he needed to be on his own. He now co-owns Collusion Tapworks with his father Chuck and Uncle Doug. Collusion Tapworks officially opened their doors to the public in September of 2016. And Jared Barnes is here with me today. Jared, how's it going? Pretty good. How about yourself? All right. Not too bad. From the time you first started to get the ball rolling when you found the place that you wanted to open to the time you finally opened the doors, what would you say was one of the hardest parts during that journey? Probably just waiting for all the permits and the licensing and construction to happen. That was the biggest difficulty for myself because I was used to, you know, used to already brewing every place that we went to. Uh, then I went to over the, you know, the course of the five years or six years or so before we opened Collusion, pretty much ready to go. I mean, within a couple, you know, a couple of weeks, we were brewing beer. We had equipment set up. Uh, and, you know, there was, there was almost a year and a half worth of debt between Wimridge Farms and the day that we opened Collusion. And those, uh, those 16, 18 months were pretty rough just kind of standing around waiting for, you know, waiting to get back in the lab and, you know, see if I still knew what I was doing. Yeah, right. I'm sure. How did you uh, go about finding the funding for that business? So that's the reason that I'm the co-owner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, basically, we... Uh, I talked to my father about it on multiple occasions, uh, you know, since Darwin's, since uh, Miss Billion River, uh, and finally it all kind of came to fruition at Wimridge. I talked about opening my own place, and, you know, he had said, I'll put some money down to back you. Uh, maybe your uncle wants to get involved, and maybe he can do something too, and we'll go to the bank and see what we can do. Right. So they each uh, put a little piece of the pie down, and we went to the bank, and after you know, months of negotiating and seeing what we needed and writing a business plan and, you know, doing financial projections. The bank finally said, okay. And that's, uh, that's where that came from. Right. Very cool. Out of curiosity, I know you, you took the job in New York, then you were down in Florida, then you were in Delaware and then back in PA for you. Was it to like get a, a feel for all the different, uh, brewing in those areas or was it just the access to the job at the moment? Um, it was kind of a multitude of things. I mean, when I was up in New York, I'd love the guys up there. You know, I'd learned more there than I could have ever expected to learn. Uh, even at school, I mean, practical application wise, that kind of set me on a, on a career path to, you know, really understanding how important procedures are uh, when it comes to quality control. Uh, that's just, as, you, you kind of just don't get that ever on a homebrew scale uh, or even, you know, without experience at a large production facility. Right. larger brewery that you know of that quality and that you know magnitude you know mid-november or early november it was 55 or so degrees outside there and we were doing 13 hour shifts you know night i was working nighttime weekends there and went to work at like 5 30 uh friday night and uh came out to my car saturday morning at 6 30 give or take and wow. uh within 12 13 hours they dropped two and a half feet of snow on me and it was Below freezing, and I said, "This is, this is it. I can't, I can't do this all winter." Yeah, I've heard many stories of the the weather making people move down south. So that, yeah, that lake effect snow just kills you. Yeah, yeah. I feel but it. I mean, I, my grandfather lives in Venice, Florida, so he's only about twenty minutes from where I moved to, anyways. Right. Uh, you know, he was getting older at the time, and uh, just kind of made sense. Uh, you know, I, as much as I love being there at Southern Tier, you know, the thought crossed, you know, just continually in my mind, well, 
you know, I wouldn't mind being in charge of a, you know, a smaller place and seeing what happens and testing the waters down there. And if I can do it closer to family, then why not try it out? So, right. Yeah. I love, I love what those uh, guys do up there, man. Great stuff they put out. So you were open for about give or take four years when the whole COVID uh, thing hit just, just under four years. Right. I believe it was. And, uh, how did you- uh, we had just actually, well, yeah, about three and a half years. I mean, we, we, that was September, 2016 and right. you know, March, 2020. Right. So how did you go about adjusting when that actually all the shutdowns and everything kicked in? It was, it was a little rough. I mean, just like anybody else, you know, we got hit pretty hard. You know, we were in kind of an advantageous situation, not necessarily to, profit off of COVID, but to be able to maintain, uh, keeping all of our employees, you know, keeping open for business. The only time that we shut down during COVID was when a completely shut down was when there was uh, a two week stint where one of our employees got it. And, you know, we were, as far as I know, we were the first restaurant to actually close down in New York. Now, I don't know if we were the first person to have an employee get it, Right. We took it pretty seriously and shut down for two weeks, sanitized the whole place, you know, made sure everything was cleaned up. And, right, right. Yeah, you know, still continued to brew during that time, but weren't open for sales uh, or anything like that. But given our business model, uh, you know, with the canning line that we have um, and the kitchen that we have and crowler sales that we had available to us, we could, you know, do things that other restaurants couldn't, which would be, you know, sell to go alcohol. I mean, right. know, state of Pennsylvania thankfully enough allows us to do taproom sales of any beer uh, that we make there on premise. However, you know, restaurants and bars can't do that. So uh, we fared a little better than the other restaurants because we were at like a one-stop shop. You can come there for to go food. You can come there for to go beer. You can come there for the whole package uh, as opposed to going to your distributor, buying a, you know, case of beer and then going and getting to go food and, you know, given our given our model, it actually worked out pretty well for us to be able to. I mean, sales were cut in half, if not more so. Right, for sure. But our overhead was down. You know, we didn't have to pay labor as much uh, because we were thankful enough to get you know some of the PPP loans, uh, which forgave a lot of that, so we could keep our employees being paid uh, out of that. Uh, in addition to you know our own pockets, so we never. Nobody ever had to take any pay cuts. Nobody ever had to be laid off. Uh, With the exception of my other brewer, he took six weeks off, uh, which was fine for him because he ended up, you know, making the unemployment extra stuff at the same time. Got to take some, you know, much needed time off. You know, he works pretty hard there in the brewery alongside me. So right, yeah, not having to lay anybody off—that's key, man. That's a that's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was it was super important for us to try to, you know, maintain, uh, you know, if, if not full-time, at least some part-time work for everybody, right. uh, going along this whole thing. So what's something, well, I mean, besides a, uh, a global pandemic, what's something you never thought you had to deal with when, uh, owning a brewery? I want to almost say nothing because of the fact that I've worked at popular places. Well, you know, between, right. between, I actually did work at Appalachian Brewing Company for a couple months a long time ago, 15 years ago, working on the bottling line. So between Appalachian Brewery, Southern Tier, Billion, Wimridge, Darwin's, I kind of got a lot of hands-on experience with both 
both distribution aspects of it as well as restaurant and brew pub aspects of it. So right. I kind of knew exactly what I was getting into. Uh, I didn't know how unruly some of the customers were going to get. Okay. <laughs> uh, when you did, when you didn't have you know their specific style of beer on that they wanted to drink, uh, you know, which is which is for us it's usually not an issue. I mean, we've done seven hundred and thirty, seven hundred forty something different beers now, and just under five years and have 24 on draft at a time. But sometimes you just have those, you know, customers that can't be pleased with anything. Uh, For sure. You know, things of that nature. Uh, ingredient supply. I mean, that, well, that was, that was more pandemic driven, you know, not having cans available to us, right? not having yeah. some hot source shortages because of drafts not available to us. Yeah. You know, that's something we didn't really predict, uh, but we work around it. Yeah, customer service is uh is a tricky thing, man. It could be great when the customers are rolling in and everybody's happy, but you know, you get those couple. You get those couple. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I you know, I've been working before brewing, you know, working in restaurants for ten years before that. Right. So, you know, I've been doing this since I was fourteen, fifteen years old. So it wasn't, you know, a completely alien concept to me. But, you know, some 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 beer nerds and some beer snobs can be <laughs> pretty obnoxious. They don't get what they want. <laughs> So what is the quality that you possess that makes you a good business owner? I would say being the fact that I've done literally every aspect of every portion of the job that we have at Collusion, uh, you know, in one way or another, whether it was there at Collusion or experiences other places, you know, I always wanted to open my own, but I knew that I couldn't just be one of those people that says, oh, you know what? I made 10 gallons in my garage that people thought were awesome. I'm going to go open a brewery uh, tomorrow without having those experiences uh, of, you know, working in other locations and other places and, you know, making the mistakes and knowing how to fix them, you know. And, and I wouldn't have been able to open the restaurant portion of the business and, you know, be able to work side by side with the people that we have in our kitchen uh, and in the back of house, like I can today without having done it, you know, I worked right. at Red Lobster as a fry cook. I worked at, you know, another local restaurant as a busser, you know, I've been a server, I've been a bartender, I've worked on the line, I've, you know, done every aspect of the brewing from, you know, canning, kegging, bottling, labeling, cleaning out drains, mashing in, graining out, you know, the whole deal. Right. So, you know, I think having all that experience before opening Collusion was a really key point to the success that we've had now. Uh, just because I, you know, I've, I've done it all and I'm still willing to do it all. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, not to name any of the previous places that I've worked at, uh, out loud, but, uh, there's a lot of places that I worked at where, you know, the, the business owner had no understanding or idea or concept of what really happened in a brewery or a restaurant right. or any of the above. You know, and it was just, oh, I got a shitload of money. I'm going to go ahead and dump some stuff into here to show off to my friends, regardless of whether I know what I'm talking about or not. Yeah, right. Gotcha. And and that just, that doesn't sit well with me and never has, yeah. uh, you know. So that's, I think that's one of the ways that I can see eye to eye and look at it from every perspective is I've been there and I've done that and I understand your frustrations and I'm going to do whatever I can to fix it and to help you. You know, it's not so much telling people what to do, it's having them tell you what you need and you being able to help them and facilitate them to be the best they can be and do the best they can do. Right. I mean, you've also been in that position before, so you completely understand your workers, you know, that's a, that's well, a that's, huge yeah, thing. That's a key aspect of it. Is, right. you know, how can you, how can you be the guy to sit there and tell somebody what to do when you've never done it yourself? Right. 
you just appreciate the work that they do that much more, which is nice. Yeah, I've got I've got you know the best team, the best crew of people that I could ever hope for right now. You know, that's great. That's hard. That's hard to ask for. You know, that's that's a lot to ask for, rather. Yeah, and you know, it, it, there were some hiccups, there were some ups and downs, but I mean, we got we got great people working for us now, and I wouldn't change a thing. Right. So you talk about the experience that you picked up along the way. Uh, if you had to pick one or two people that inspired you the most in the brew industry, in the brewing industry, who would that be? I mean, when I, I mean, I would say, you know, Finn Domingue from Southern Tier. I mean, he, he did the same thing. You know, he started out at Goose Island, worked at Goose Island, did everything there before he opened up his own place. Right. You know, and, and you know, look at the success that he's had now. I mean, he, he went from the trenches. He did the exact same thing. You know, he, he worked from worked from the ground up to what he has now. Uh, I, I'd say my earliest inspirations were uh, Sam Callaghan. I was a huge fan of his, um, you know, back even before the TV shows and, right. uh, you know, Boston Beer Company and everything else. I mean, I was, I was a huge fan of just that whole concept of come up with the weirdest, most ridiculous shit that you can possibly imagine. So the beer and let's see if we can't make something yeah. turn out. Okay. You know, that sort of ingenuity and, and creativity, uh, played a big part in a lot of the stuff that I started doing at different places. Absolutely. Um, Garrett Oliver, you know, he's, you know, what, what he's done in his career has been amazing, you know, and I, I've always, you know, respected his outlook on everything. And there's a lot of guys out there, um, that have really, you know, given inspiration to a lot of uh, a lot of the younger guys like us that you know that we really look up to, and you know those those three are pretty good on my list. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, I'm lucky to have uh, Brooklyn right in my backyard. You know, I'm I'm in Queens, so yeah, it's right here. Yeah. I know you uh you you know you take on a lot, probably being the owner and uh, dealing with everything and whatnot. How important is a mental break for you from from everything? Like, are you able to just walk away, or uh, and what does that look like? So I have, and my wife tells me this all the time. I have a, a unique ability to be able to switch off the work life and the home life, and be able to flip flop between the two, right? Pretty seamlessly. Uh, I will say, however, that the work life definitely mixes with the home life. In a couple of aspects. I mean, one, my wife also works with me at the brewery. So, right. you know, see her there, plus see her at home. Uh, two, you know, we, we just opened up a second location three months ago, uh, about 45 minutes away from where I live now. Right. And that's been rewarding, but at the same time, difficult. Uh, you know, I can't exactly switch off completely when I'm getting phone calls Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night. Right. Um, but, I mean, we, we tend to... The nice thing is, is, I mean, there's only two of us in the brewery. Uh, I got a, I got a third guy, you know, it's me, it's myself, it's uh, Ben Badia, who's my other brewer, and then Andrew, uh, who helps out one or two days a week. Uh, if one of us needs a day off or one of us is like, you know what, I got to take, I got to take a couple of days, we can always fill in and, you know, do everybody else's stuff. You know, Ben, Ben can do everything I can do in the brewery and vice versa. You know, he might not understand the whole management aspect of it from a business owner's perspective, but you know, we we take our we take our time off very seriously. Nobody works more than forty hours a week, forty five hours a week at the most, 
nobody's doing, you know, nighttime weekend work, at least in the brewery, unless we agree upon it beforehand. I don't force anybody to work overtime. I mean, right. you know, your, your time off is valuable to both yourself and myself because I don't want burnout people and I don't want to be burned out and get pissy and obnoxious and frustrated. So, right. So was there a moment for you, like a defining moment that kind of stands out that let you know that your business was going in the right direction? Yeah, I mean, there's there there's a couple a couple of key moments where I realized that you know this was this was the right move uh, career wise and you know business wise from collusions standpoint. Uh, you know, when I was down in Florida working at Darwin Brewing Company, it was a fourth of the time before they closed down their brew pub uh, and then moved to Bradenton, but. We had entered Best Florida Beer Competition, and uh, within my first year moving down there, we had won uh, 16 awards between gold, silver, and bronze, and had come in uh, Best Beer in Florida it's awesome. uh, the same year. That was a pretty big boost for me, considering we were up against the likes of like Cigar City, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Funky Buddha, that kind of deal. And to be, you know, to be standing there next to the guys from Cigar City, next to Wayne, next to Billy Redner and whatnot, and just chat with them, and all of a sudden my name was one that was called. It was like, holy shit, this is awesome! Right, right. Uh, no, this is great. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a pretty big moment for me. Right. Um, Business wise, I'd say the very first day uh, we weren't even we were licensed, but we weren't allowed to occupy our building at the time. I probably shouldn't be saying this because everybody hears this, but. We, <laughs> <laughs> we basically did what we called the rally in the alley and we're going to, you know, it's been five years. We haven't done it since, but we're still trying to get in the throes of it. And what we did was we threw open the brewery doors and we rolled a kegerator into the brewery and we sold beer out of the back room of the brewery because our brew pub wasn't licensed for sale. Okay. And it was literally like a two or three day beforehand, by the way, we're opening up here for a one day, four hour event. Come on out and, let's hope we get some people to come out and try some beer. And lo and behold, 400 something plus people showed up on our opening day and we basically blocked off the entire alleyway to car traffic to anything Wow! for four yeah. hours and everybody had an absolute blast. Yeah. That's sick. That's amazing. You know, it was awesome. That's it was awesome. I mean, and nobody, and then the best part was, I mean, that the you know, cops were super cool. They were like, yeah, just fucking keep going, you know, have fun, <laughs> do whatever you want. Right. No big deal. Nobody's getting hurt. Nobody's, you know, being obnoxious. And yeah, we just all had fun and party down the alley for a good four hours. And it was, it was really fun. Right. Yeah. That's so, those, those are two, uh, surreal moments. It seems like, um, but like in, in your own words, like how do you, I mean, that seems pretty successful to me, but like, how do you define success for yourself? I can look at it from a couple different ways. I mean, you could, you could define it from a, you know, a financial success as in, you know, uh, since I opened the brewery, I've been able to, you know, buy a house, get married, pay off bills. And we've never been in the red, you know, we've, the, the brewery has never lost money. Right. Even during COVID, we've never lost money any single month. So that's great. The financial aspect of that, you know, all of our, Employees have gotten raises every single year. We throw out bonuses at Christmas time. We throw out bonuses throughout the year for performance. We've been able to afford all of that, no problem. And you know that's a financial success from a 
uh, successful standpoint as far as professional, you know, being able to do collaborations with, you know, some great breweries out there has been awesome, you know, getting invited to different beer festivals that, you know, like a, a brewery invite only has been great. I mean, even just locally, people say, what brewery do you want to go to in York? And 90% of the time it's collusion. I mean, that's been, that's been awesome to hear people say that, you know, through social media posts through right. you know, whatnot. Um, but, you know, not, it's like, you know, they say 50% of restaurants go out of business within the first four years. Yeah. Right. Uh, we're on we're on year five and we're doing okay. So far, so good. So far, so good. Yeah, and and you opened the second location as well, so correct it says a lot. I love this question, and I'd love to know from you. This is going to be great. Uh, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? Victory Golden Monkey. Golden Monkey. Okay. <laughs> yeah, in fact, that was a, there's a there's a funny story for you. So I was. Um, I was leaving my parents' house one day, and I, this, at this time, this is when I worked at Bullies. Right. And uh, didn't really know much about beer at all. You know, I just, I, you know, I was I just turned 21 years old, didn't really drink at all. You know, if I was drinking anything, it was Yingling or Miller Lite, right. you know, whatever. And started working at Bullies, and they had like 37 different beers there. And I was just a host. You know, all I did was beat people, you know, take reservations, that kind of deal. Uh, you know, fresh out of the military, and that was, you know, what I was doing while I was going to school. And uh, they had 37 different beers, and I didn't know there were 37 kinds of beers. Right. So, I, you know, and it's, it was Italian stuff, it was domestic stuff, it was craft stuff, you know, Trogues, Victory, Scouts. Right. You know, a lot of stuff from here from South Pennsylvania, and I couldn't believe they had it. So I started trying some of these, and I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, I mean, these look cool. I don't really know exactly anything about them yet. Uh, you know, I don't know if I want to drink any of them. I'll just have my Miller Lite that I'm used to. And I, I guess I was at my parents' house one day and left there and stopped at this little pizza shop. And I saw uh, Victory Gold Monkey in this pizza shop. And I said, you know what? I see these kind of beers sitting in the restaurant. I'd only been working there for maybe a week or two. Right. Said, screw it. I'll try one. I'll take one of those Golden Monkeys. That's a cool looking label. So I had the first one and I was like, wow, like this is, this is just, this is intense. I mean, this is strong. This is different. This is not, nothing, the fla- full flavored, nothing about this is like reminiscent of anything I had. So I had a second one. <laughs> and after the second one, I'm like three quarters of the way through the second one. And I'm thinking to myself, what, like, what's going on here? These are strong. I'm waiting on my pizza and <laughs> I feel pretty, pretty good. You know, I don't, I don't understand until I realize this beer's like nine, nine and a half percent. Yeah. And I didn't know that you could even do that. And I was like, well, hell, if I only have to drink two of these and I feel great, maybe there's something to this whole deal. Yeah. And you know, it was a unique experience. And I learned two things. One, don't underestimate the ABVs of beer. And two, the flavors that you can get from beer are far more complex than what you're getting from you know, than, than what you thought that you could have uh, out of what people, at least at the time, and friends of mine would perceive as just, you know, crushable, you know, shotgunnable beers. Right. That, that kind of is what turned me on to it. And then I, you know, went to work the next time. Hey, can I try this? Hey, can I try this? Hey, can I try this? And that just spitballed into brewing at the restaurant, brewing in the basement, going to beer school, doing, you know, everything I've done up until this point. Right. 
It's awesome. And I still like Victory Gold Monkey. Yeah, it's great beer. I had one not too long ago. Uh, I think the first time that, that happened to me where I was just like, yeah, I'll have one of those, not realizing it was a barley wine. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I think one of them kicked my ass. So yeah, I completely get it. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I remember uh, I'm a huge Waterbucket fan. I remember Blithering Idiot. Yes. Uh, buddy of mine never had anything remotely close to any, any you know, craft beer, higher ABV stuff. And I bought a six pack of Blithering Idiot. And I remember getting him absolutely trapped <laughs> off of half of a six pack. Cause I mean, no, nobody knew what, nobody knew what it was. Like, you right. know, this was, this is 16, 17 years ago. I mean, it was out there, but you know, being 21, 22 years old, nobody really knew, you know, at that time. Right. Yeah. Like the, the, what ABV does now, you know, yeah. back there, there were 12 or 1300 breweries. I mean, last week or two weeks ago, we just hit the 10,000 mark. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's going up quick. Going up quick. The numbers Italian. Uh, so, uh, you've been home brewing and and brewing for quite a while. If somebody uh had asked you for one important home brewing tip, what would it be? Temperature control. Temperature control. Yes, agreed. Without a doubt, that is the biggest downfall I see to a lot of home brewed beers is, oh, I bought a carboy and I stuck it in my, you know, garage and it was between anywhere from 45 to 95 degrees any given day. And, you know, you always know right from the first smell. Yeah, right. That's all it takes. <laughs> Temperature control. You know, I mean, they are, they're already, every homebrew I know sanitizes the shit out of everything already. Of course. I mean, that's, that's day one, but. You know, temperature control is such a big aspect of it. And I still see in professional brewing nowadays, temperature control, man. Yeah, it's key. I know you said you, you had opened your second location. I don't really know how to pronounce the, the name of the town. It's Lit Lititz? It's Lititz, yep. Lititz, okay. It's Pennsylvania. It's about uh, 15, 20 minutes north of Lancaster. Right. So with that being opened, what is, what's next for your brewery and uh, what does the future look like? For collusion, man, I just want to get debt paid off. Yeah, <laughs> just want- that's a big one. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I, I I knew that I wanted one. I never thought that I would want two. Right. Uh, I'm glad that I have two. I'm glad that we can you know bring some of our cool stuff that we're doing into Lidditz and into Lancaster uh, from York. Uh, you know, I got a lot of people that wanted us to have something over there. I mean, we call it. We call it the other side of the river, you know, the other side of the Susquehanna River. If right. you're on the York County side, you don't go to the Lancaster County side and vice versa. Okay. I mean, God, God forbid you drive a mile and a half across the river, but it's just a huge separation <laughs> thing. It's, you know, a running joke between central Pennsylvania. Gotcha. So we had, you know, Lancaster County people asking for our beers over there. And I said, you know what, let's, let's do a little, let's do a little tap room and we'll open up a little tiny 40 or 50 seat brew pub and, now that turned into a three-story event venue with a full kitchen, and yeah, got a little out of hand. But awesome, you know. As as far as what's next, I uh, yeah, I don't I don't even know. I I think two is enough. But, okay, you know, three years, four years down the road, who knows? Right. Well, I wish you luck with both. Continue, well, continue, continued success. And uh, if somebody actually came to you and uh, asked you advice on opening a brewery, what would you tell them? Don't do it without experience. 
Okay. I, I, you know, I tell people that all the time. You know, if if you really want to open a brewery, I'm all about it. I love new places. I you know, I I love watching them opening. I love helping them open. Um, but if if you've never worked in the industry, just because your buddies tell you you make great beer, doesn't mean you make good beer. Right. It's it's the same thing. Like I said earlier, you know, I've I've got I I personally thought you know. There's no way I'm opening my own place without working and, and living every single aspect of the job that I'm going to ask people to do or do myself, you know, get, get the experience before you dive, dive in and put your house up and go to the bank and, you know, dump your retirement into it or anything else, you know, make sure you know what you're doing before you, before you go, you know, head first. Right. And then you're head in hands trying to figure out what went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, you have a funny story for us? I do. Uh, uh, you know, when you when you asked me to, to think about one earlier, I, I had a couple in mind, but one of my favorites was, and I I, I hope the guys from Southern Jew don't listen to this, but... Uh, <laughs> I hope they do. That'd be awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, if they do, that'd be awesome. Uh, when I worked there, uh, like I said, I worked nighttime weekends. You know, we did, we did 12 and a half, 13 hour shifts, four days on, four days off, three days on, three days off kind of deal. Right. So, uh, the other guy that I work with, uh, we'll just call him Ted for okay. the sake of the conversation. Right. <laughs> it was just me and him and we work nighttimes and weekends, uh, you know, so we see people in the brewery on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, until like eight or nine o'clock till they close down 10 o'clock. And then after that, we have full rate of the brewery with just two of us. Okay. Uh, you know, they had one settlement on and one brewer on and that was it. So... Being that we were the only ones there, uh, tend to get a little bored sometimes, you know, working at the end of the week, a lot of the stuff starts on Monday and, you know, we figure out schedules then. And, uh, we decided now one of the, the well, third employee actually taught me this game. Uh, we would set up forklifts in the middle of the brewery and use the keg bands that you, you know, you throw 26 bowls on a pallet or eight, eight halves on a pallet, right. wrap them with a giant rubber band. Right. You know, kind of keep them falling over on each other. So we would actually take those rubber bands and stretch them in between two forklifts and see how far we could fling shit across the bird. <laughs> and we would throw anything from cardboard boxes to, and this was the worst one, to, to like beer bottles. Okay. And of course, we clean them up afterwards, you know, and we try to throw, see if 22 ounce bottles went farther or 12 ounce bottles went farther. Right. We just shoot shit all across the brewery and, you know, try to see who could throw things farther using these rubber bands. And, you know, different heights of the forklift forks would change trajectories and different things you'd throw. And we just made like a running, running thing of it where we just, you know, what are we going to launch across the brewery tonight? Nothing broke anything, you know, nothing bad ever happened. Nobody got hurt, but right. oh, pretty fun game. Yeah. Boredom will get the best of us. I know. Oh. I, w- I work at a firehouse and when it's quiet, you know, when it, when boredom gets the best of the guys, nothing good ever happens, but it's funny. <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean we had you know Vespillion was we had a lot of a lot of practical jokes that we did at Vespillion. You know that was our thing down there was hiding things from each other or you know right that kind of deal. But yeah, we every every place that you work at, every group of people that you work with, you all find some way to keep some humor in the day. Absolutely, life's short. You got to laugh. You know, you got to laugh. Yeah, man. So we'll have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. 
It's, okay. It's five quick questions, beer-related. Ready? Sure. All right. One of your beers that you'd recommend someone try? Right now uh, are Zots, which is a Czech lager. It is my favorite beer that I think we've done in the past two or three years. Okay. Uh, if you don't have that, First Right Pilsner. That's a year-round beer that we always do. That would be my go-to. All right. Favorite brewery other than your own? Ooh. Yep. <laughs> J.W. Lee's. And where where's that out of? Over in England. Over in England. Okay. Uh, favorite. They make st- great barley wine. Really? Well. Yeah. Now I have to go in search of this. Uh, favorite style of beer? Lagers. Lagers. Okay. Well, that's that's what I'm drinking right now. I mean, that's a that's a time of the time of the year thing. What you're in the mood for thing. Right. But I think I'll always crispy pilsner is is the go-to. Okay. And uh, last beer you drank that blew you away? Could be yours. Could be someone else's. I just had uh, I just had a collab between Imprint and uh, Definitive Brewing uh, that I had yesterday when I was actually down at Imprint hanging out with those guys. That was really good. That was a really good, really good IPA. All right. And uh, last one. You have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. Which beer are you choosing? Quarantine as in I can't go anywhere? As in you're, you're stuck in a house. This idea was thought of because of the uh, pandemic, so. North Coast Old Rasputin. Old Rasputin. It's a great beer. All right. Man, it's 9%, but I figured, shit, if I'm not going anywhere, why the hell not? Right. I might as well pass out at some point and then wake <laughs> up and do it again, right? <laughs> Jared, that's all I have for you, man. I appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Thanks, man. I'm Mike Hurton for the Brew World Order Podcast, here with Jared Barnes, co-owner of Collusion Tapworks in York, Pennsylvania. Thanks, man. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Andrew Barnes, co-owner of Collusion Tapworks in York, Pennsylvania. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, or just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Also, give him a follow on social media while you're at it. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe and you'll never miss one. Also, check us out on social media for updates on the podcast. A special thanks goes out to Jared Barn for his military service. We salute you, Jared. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order podcast. You stay safe out there.